You're now listening to the Tax Smart REI Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hey, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Tax Smart REI podcast. Today, Brennan and I are joined with Bill Faith, who has been involved in real estate for almost 25 years and now has a multi-million dollar portfolio of short-term rental properties, primarily located in vacation rental markets. And in this episode, Bill shares with us how he identifies markets, what systems and applications he uses to build, grow, and maintain his short-term rental empire, financing, and a whole lot more. In fact, the amount of knowledge dropped in this episode easily makes this one of the top interviews we've ever done on the show, so stay tuned. We do want to let you know that we did officially release the short-term rental tax course, which teaches you everything you need to know about the short-term rental loophole to save five to six figures in taxes. In the course, I cover an overview of the short-term rental loophole and its powerful tax benefits, how to materially participate in your short-term rentals to reduce taxes on your W-2 and other active income, how to maximize your tax savings using cost segregation studies and bonus depreciation, as well as how to avoid critical mistakes that can cost you thousands of dollars in tax savings. By the end of the course, you will know exactly what you need to do to use the short-term rental loophole to save five to six figures in taxes. With the amount of value that is included in this course and the potential tax savings, I could have easily charged upwards of $997 or perhaps even $1,500 for this course. But you know what? Because I want to help as many people use the short-term rental loophole as possible, I'm giving it away for only $247, which is really next to nothing if you think about the potential tax savings that you can get from using a short-term rental loophole. And with bonus depreciation phasing out over the next few years, the sooner you can take advantage of the short-term rental loophole, the more tax you'll be able to save. So if you're ready to save five to six figures in taxes by using the short-term rental loophole, you can enroll in the course today by going to courses.taxsmartinvestors.com and enrolling. It's just that simple. Again, that's courses.taxsmartinvestors.com. And without further ado, we're going to jump right into today's episode after a quick word from Landlord Studio. If you're a do-it-yourself landlord managing rental properties, Landlord Studio is made for you. The software helps landlords simplify income and expense tracking. With their easy-to-use app, you can digitize receipts, record income and expenses in real time, generate reports, and even manage leases and tenants. Plus, Landlord Studio makes late rental payments and bank visits a problem of the past with secure online rent collection. Get the rent paid directly to your bank account, and you can even automate rent reminder emails and late payment fees. Landlord Studio is also the best way to stay tax compliant. They offer a range of financial reports, including Schedule E and supplier expense reports designed for tax time. You can learn more about Landlord Studio and start your 14-day free trial at landlordstudio.com CPA and use the coupon code REALESTATECPA at checkout to get 25% off your plan. Again, that's landlordstudio.com CPA and use the code REALESTATECPA to get 25% off your plan today. Bill, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Would you be able to give our listeners a brief overview of your background and how you got involved with short-term rentals? Um, yeah, I think like many people, I got involved. I started in LTR. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. I've been here for 19 years. I'm a born-again redneck from California. I started LTRs when I was 23 before I even got married. I just 
finished playing a year of professional golf in South America and Asia, had a couple of hundred thousand bucks and bought a couple of duplexes. Uh, my best man at my wedding, my best friend was a CPA and he was giving, I didn't know what the fuck to do. So he said, Hey, do this. And you know, we can spend like 280,000 bucks. Let's take a hundred grand, you know, put it down. You're, you're going to literally have a $900 a month mortgage amortized over 30 years. I didn't know what amortized meant at that time. Like I went to UCLA when I was a college dropout, I turned professional at 19. Uh, so I just followed his guidance. And that's how I kind of got my first foray in, into real estate. I moved to Nashville. My background is I've done 37 startups. I'm a habitual entrepreneur. Um, I get bored at, at certain stages and move on. We're usually around the $5 million mark. I built a $150 million company, $230 million companies. A lot of coaches like me use that as you know, the, the pie in the sky. And that's their marketing piece. They suck. I never want to go back to that, to be honest with you. I've got one employee today and it's the best thing ever. I've been able to architect my life over the last seven to 10 years to put myself and my wife and my kids and my family in the exact spot that I want to be in. And it took maturity and learning to be able to get there. Hence why I'm here today. Short-term rentals, in my opinion, are the number one asset class. Even today, as we're recording this to invest into, you know, I don't have any LTR. I'm just a traditional guy that was an LTR. I live in Nashville for probably the last 10 years. It's been a top 10 market for STRs. I've never invested here because of the volatile regulatory issues. Even though I did have uh, two condos in downtown Nashville that I purchased, one in 2006, one in 2009, right in the heart of the recession, and they would be amazing. I could have got permits. They'd be amazing. But I was battling Uber every Tuesday in city council in Nashville, right when Airbnb was coming. So I was in the ground transportation space, right? So I had lobbyists trying to keep Uber and Lyft out. Obviously, we were unsuccessful, uh, but I had a pretty good size ground transportation company. And I saw what was happening and I saw how many readings were coming through and like something would get shot down at second reading. Then all of a sudden, a month later, something makes it to third reading and there's a new permit that's going to, the fees are going up. Now it's freaking owner occupied only. I mean, it's impossible to get a permit here. Harder than Asheville, harder than Hot Springs, Arkansas. So one of the things that I've learned is I want to be in a market that is already regulated, but is not volatile. So one of the reasons that I've kind of, you know, really migrated a lot to vacation rental markets or even to places that people think are closed markets, but they're really not. They just don't do deep enough research. So I'm a consummate entrepreneur. Many startups was an LTR like many people and then just converted over to short-term rentals. Interesting. I uh, was just having a conversation with one of our advisors, Ryan Carrier, on our team about short-term rentals. He has one and I have one. And we were talking about buying in areas that don't already have like these rules established. I mean, even in Raleigh, North Carolina, where it's relatively easy to get a short-term rental permit. I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, so that's why I'm using that. It's relatively easy to get a short-term rental permit, but I still get nervous about buying something in Raleigh, North Carolina to make a short-term rental because it's not like a main revenue driver for Raleigh. You know, obviously Raleigh has a lot of other income streams. So my short-term rental is out at the beach where that's how the city makes money is short-term mm -hmm. rentals. <laughs> it's like, they're not going to pull the rug out. So that's and, and, and if you're in top sale or if you're in, you know, the OBX or wherever, yeah. their regulation has history behind it, right? And that's a huge deal that I think a lot of people miss. I started in Gulf Shores. I'm at lakes that have a tremendous amount of short-term rentals. I'm in Banner Elk and Beach Mountain. I'm in Estes Park, Colorado. I'm in Scottsdale, Arizona. Now, I'm not going to say the market I was literally in yesterday, and I put uh, we have two properties under contract there. 
uh, just because I'm going to buy more. And as soon as I mention it, then everybody's going to flood in. But I'll use, we went and met with the city planner that handles in zoning, that handles all the short-term rental permits yesterday. And most people think this market's closed. She's all, no, we have 232 permits available, but here's the process to go through to get permitted. And understand the board, I said, is the board of directors, is that like a city council? She's all, yes, they have to meet publicly, right? But there's no agenda. There's no first reading, second reading, third reading. They make decisions in the first freaking meeting there, right? This is an old school, middle of America, you know, type of market. So it's different in every single market we go to. But you know what the number one thing, and this is the other thing I think people really need to pay close attention to, and you could see this in Raleigh. It's a small enough community. It's a big city, but it's still small enough. It's not Chicago. It's not Miami. It's not New York. You think about the affordable living. You look at what's happened in Bozeman, Montana during COVID. Their average home price went from $412,000 to $792,000. No server that's making fifty dollars can fucking afford to live in Bozeman. This town is the exact same thing. Nashville, 15 minutes north of me. You know, we've got 1.7 million people. They're probably similar size to Raleigh, maybe a little bit bigger. I don't know. But they're having the same problem. So that's the number one driver in these urban areas, non-traditional vacation rental markets. That should be the fear that everybody should be looking at because those city councilmen, the mayors, the aldermen, all of these people are going to take care of their constituents first before they take care of us as investors. There's no question. I think that's the biggest risk that we have over the next five to 10 years in this space. So talk to us a little bit about what your portfolio looks like today. And when you're buying short-term rentals today, or I guess in the coming years, what are you looking for? Yeah. So it's interesting. I literally made like my first viral TikTok video two days ago, and I've got like 3,000 views on on TikTok. I've never made Congratulations. My daughters are like, what are you doing on TikTok, Dad? And it was about how I've changed my strategy. So my portfolio, everybody knows me as the luxury high-end value add guy. I'm the guy that goes buy $700,000 properties that are what I call golden girls. They're, they're built in early 2000s. And my lake house at Smith Lake, Alabama is a prime example. I bought it in November. I've just gotten done. I start, ta- this is a tax podcast, right? So I start tax planning usually around Halloween for the end of the physical year. I paid in $100,000 quarterly last year. I sat down with my team. They're like, you're probably going to have another four to $500,000 that you're going to owe. I'm like, fuck that. I'm not paying that. I'm going to go buy a couple more houses and let's get them into service and let's do a cost segregation. Because I didn't know about cost segregation. It's like a year before that. So that's one of my big tax deals. I bought this lake house. It's Golden Girl, $799, put $125,000 you know, into renovation, put it into service so I could you know, literally the week before Christmas, then the week after Christmas, so I could you know, meet the requirements to put it in service to be able to cost seg. Then I went in and started doing maintenance so I could go in and finish everything, you know, in 2022, right? So I'm done. I'm live. I can cost seg. Now I'm going to do some deferred maintenance that I should have done in my uh, in my rehab before I went live to take advantage. So I ended up getting, I think it was $212,000 cost benefit in the cost seg. I bought a beachfront house, closed on December 12th, did the exact same thing. I didn't get everything rehabbed, but I had to put it in the service in 2021 to be able to get the cost save benefit. I complete it. I have to file an extension. I don't have that one completed yet. And I have one other that I did complete. So long story short, I ended up with like a $612,000, just over $600,000 in benefit through three cost eggs to offset having to pay the additional tax that I was going to owe outside of my $100,000 quarterlies. So that house, my specialty is what I did at the lake. This house was built in 2003. It's built like a brick shit house. It's once a single owner, 
Family was lived about an hour away. It was their second home. They were like in their 70s. The dude took such great care of this property. It was just old and outdated and golden girls, right? And I've got a lady in my mastermind named Celia Cortez that came up with the term golden girls. I can't, you know, I can't take credit for that. But I love those properties because my wife came in and modernized it. And we found an incredible contractor to help us with the rehab. I think it was roughly furnishings, everything, including, you know, utility vehicle, just everything you can imagine, all the the stuff like 120 grand roughly. So, and I had it appraised, you know, about six weeks ago, right before the shit hit the fan and everything starts like 1.62 million, right? So, but I'm also doing ADR right now of, of $1,412 a night. I'm still, even with the downturn, forecasting 200, about 195 to $210,000 in revenue. And that's with us doing maintenance and working at the property probably three to four weeks a year to keep it in great condition, right? So, that's kind of what my portfolio looks like. I did build a brand new construction. Most of my properties I purchased are in the five hundred dollars to $800,000. I built a $900,000 beach house, but it's all about the evaluation process, proximity, location, doing the evaluation and the analysis of, of the competitive landscape of the market and providing things that they don't provide. So I'll give you an example, my new beach house that I built, tier two in Gulf Shores, that means there's one street between us and the beach. But you know what? There's four open lots that are in a living trust for kids that I found out because of relationships uh, through my attorney down there who knows the other family attorney. When we went through and we looked, at, tried to find the titles, the deeds, and they were in an LLC and a trust. Luckily, he knew that attorney. They said, hey, the kids are their grandkids. And he they literally shared the information. They're between 12 and 16. I got at least a 10-year run rate of having almost beachfront because there's no freaking houses in front of me. So I have a beachfront view, right? But it doesn't stop there. So I'm in my backyard. I've got this amazing pool, amazing house. I'm looking right. I'm looking left. It's just, I see everybody's backyard and there's pool after pool after pool. I got a pool, but there's nothing fucking special about that. And you know what I see? I see a pop-up tent that's like halfway broken and the guy's got it zip tied against the, you know, the fencing around the pool. And then I see these umbrellas. And I see a lady out there holding a top flight. That's a, a golf brand, right? A top flight umbrella that she's sitting by the pool. I look at my wife. I said, hey, you remember that Vacation House Rules show that was on HGTV and Scott came in and used this thing called Toja Grid for this lake deal? I said, we're going to buy Toja Grids and we're going to build like South Beach style cabanas on the back of our pool. It cost me $17,000 and it's probably the best freaking investment I've ever made to this day, it's been there for nine months. I'm the only fucking house that has a cabana in all of Gulf Shores. Nobody else has them. So now they have shade. So what do I do? I'm marketing shade, right? The second part of this is I put in a pool. Everybody cheats out and they go with the electric heater. Well, what happens in December, January, February, March, when it's 55 degrees and the wind's blowing 20 miles an hour, an electric heater cannot get your pool to 85 or 90 degrees. So I bought a 455,000 BTU gas heater, paid $2,000 to have gas pulled down to my house. I can keep my pool at 100 degrees. Like literally, it's like a hot tub, right? So that's a marketing advantage for me. So I educate my customer. And in all caps of my description, under my images and in my description, it says, want to have a hot pool? Make sure you check before you book if the house has an electric heater or a gas heater. I will 100% guarantee you will not be able to have a hot enough pool with an electric heater. So I'm trying to educate and position at the exact same time. So those are the things that I look at from that value add. Now, you asked about, sorry to be so long-winded. 
My strategy today, I was on a 15-hour jaunt yesterday, put two properties under contract. One, $475,000, not a million-dollar property. Four units. I'm referring to it as the Langmore Estates. If anybody's watched Ozark and you know who Ruth Langmore is, her little trailer park trash, little community she's got there on the on the lake, that's what this place looks like. Not really that bad, but for me, that's what it looks like. I have to put my personal bias aside because there's no way that's not a lifestyle purchase. It's $475,000. We need $75,000 for rehab. I have two partners that I'm building a $50 million syndication with, and we're buying this property just with the three of us as we're waiting to get the syndication ready to go and get you know our regulation D and all that type of stuff. We're putting in $7,000 a piece because we know how to build performance. We know where to get financing, 4.75% interest, 20-year commercial loan. Uh, they're giving us $150,000 on the rehab. We'll pull our cash back out. We have a net cash-in basis of 7%. So basically, it's free, virtually free for us. And this $475,000 property with four units is already doing $120,000 a year in revenue. So I know that I can go in with my skills, my historical you know, run rates and look at that I can probably do 150 to 160. So whether I use STR Insights um, or AirDNA, and the, the historically people have been using AirDNA, they look at the 90th percentile. Uh, these two gentlemen are in my mastermind group. They And one of them, John Hodge, coined the mastermind markup at 30%. Well, I look at when I won my performance on my portfolio versus the 90th percentile of AirDNA, or even strinsights.com, I'm running about 55 to 60% above the 90th percentile, going back to that stuff that we just talked about. So I should easily be able to push 160 on this. So literally our cash on cash return is going to be about 400 to 500% on this in the first year. Those deals are still available. You just have to know how to find them. And then number two, how to get the creative financing in place. It was uh, an awesome overview of pretty much you know w- what you do in the short-term rental space, and it's, and it's truly inspiring. Frankly, I'm like out here, like, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing? I need to get in short-term rentals. But anyway, you know, one of the things that everybody loves to talk about when they're building a, a short-term rental business is what type of tools you use. And you kind of touched on a little bit with AirDNA, but what kind of tools do you use when you're operating your business? Well, I'll tell you, this property I couldn't find with AirDNA, right? So. We were talking about the conference I had last month when we started. There's a gentleman named Kenny Bedwell who started strinsights.com and it just went public last Friday. I've had, he's in my mastermind group. I've had, my mastermind has had access to it since September. I would have never invested into Banner Elf, North Carolina and Beach Mountain, North Carolina if it wasn't for STR Insights. This market and this individual property, I would have never gone to if I didn't have STR Insights. So I think the biggest fundamental change for me in the last six to nine months is I now have a tool with STR Insights and I can I open it up every morning. I was on it right before we started the podcast this morning. And instead of having to have an address or buy a market to pick, choose the market first, I log into STR Insights and literally I sort the entire country on available short-term rentals, available. They are for sale by gross ROI. And then I go through and I say, okay, there's Honolulu, Hawaii. It's got 31% gross ROI. I don't want to own in Honolulu. Oh, and that's an eight bedroom and it's $10 million. I don't want to spend that. Then I see Laguna Beach and that's too expensive for me. Now, all of a sudden I get down to, oh, hey, there's Banner Elk. There's North Blue Ridge, Georgia. There's Yucca Valley. There's Fresno, California. And I see 17%, 18%. 
So I only invest in the 15% or higher gross ROI, which typically if you do a 20% down with you know no ridiculous rehab or design budget, you're going to do 20 to 25%, maybe 30% cash on cash return. Because I won't do any investment unless I'm going to get a 30% cash on cash return. So SDR Insights fundamentally is going to change the way that we invest and it has for me. That's number one. Number two, I use owner res. I use price labs for pricing optimization. I use owner res because it's got a property management tool. So not only do I own my own portfolio, but I do do co-hosting for eight luxury properties as well. A big deal for me is hospitable that I integrate with owner res just because of the automation and the AI that they have. And just something as simple as getting the auto response immediately for when somebody doesn't insta book and they're looking to book because that manual, if I'm sleeping last night and somebody comes in without hospitable and I have five hour delay and you guys are using hospitable and you get instant reply, then you're going to benefit in your rankings more than myself because of my reply time on Airbnb. Um, a big one for me being a marketer is rank breeze. I love Kelvin Ma. Rank Breeze shows me dates. It shows me pricing. It shows me exactly where I'm ranked with all of my properties. And then it has a log to where when I go in, like doing A-B testing, right? If I change a title, I see I can log what my title was. When I'm changing it to, it keeps the date. So then I wait for the algorithm to refresh about 48 hours, come back and see what happens with my rankings. So Rank Breeze is a huge tool. I think there's really three core tools that I could not be doing what I'm doing right now. Uh, in today, different than nine months ago. Number one, the most valuable tool is SDR Insights. Number two for me is going to be Rank Breeze. And number three is Price Labs. I'm a Price Labs guy, but you got Beyond, you got Wheelhouse, you know, you got a lot of different ones. I think that's probably one of the biggest mistakes once people get into this is they think they can manually price. Well, you don't know when that 4,000 people are showing up to your market for the cheerleading competition or the soccer competition. Or when, you know, the NRA is coming to downtown Raleigh with 15,000 people, these compression events are huge and it's just impossible for us, whether we're members of the chamber, the CBB, whatever, to be able to do that manually. That's an impressive stack right there. I hope everybody who's listening is taking notes because uh, I know a lot of people are always talking about air DNA and price labs and that's kind of where the buck stops. But it sounds like you just introduced some more tools that are going to be uh, very impactful for people's businesses. I mean, I don't want to turn this into a pitch, but I'm telling you, if you're investing and you want to invest specifically on a national level or not just in one market, SDR Insights is a game changer. But I don't want to discredit their DNA. I still use their DNA. There's one tremendous feature in their DNA that I think is very underlooked for people and they're evaluating properties on the front end. And even when they're doing their pricing optimization, because when you use Beyond or you know, Wheelhouse or Price Labs, you still have, there's still a manual element to it, right? So they have a pacing feature. To where you can go back and look at the trailing six months and the pricing of what was booked, what was left occupant, right? You get the actual numbers and the percentages, and you can look at the forward six months. That's really important for me when I'm doing my analysis of looking to purchase a property. So the property that I did yesterday, um, I found it through STR Insights. I got my comps through STR Insights. I go physically walk the property yesterday with Sean and Tripp and our agent and our contractor. Then we got a two-hour drive back. Uh, to Memphis, Tennessee, I'm on Air DNA and I'm looking at the pacing feature to see what basically the rent rolls look like and what's booked with the comps all around this property, right? Then I get home and I'm looking at STR Insights to compare that, the real comps that I can get that are currently available. And then I'm going deeper and looking at amenities, right? And look at their amenity stack, look at their design stack. I'm looking at all of these things through the listings to kind of go through my evaluation process 
So I think there's multiple tools that can cross over from the evaluation process, even into the optimization process post-purchase. So Bill, I, I know you mentioned before, I mean, you're giving away a tremendous amount of great insights here on this podcast. I think anybody who is investing in the short-term rental space will want to, is going to want to learn more about what you have going on. Like I think you mentioned earlier today that you had a podcast. What is that podcast again? Yeah, I just launched it uh, two weeks ago. It's STR Unfiltered. It's everywhere, you know, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, everywhere that you can uh, get it. We've got six episodes that are deployed. We launch new episodes every every Tuesday. Um, it's the real stuff about short-term rentals. It's the no, no BS. I teach you how to execute. I teach you how to evaluate. I tell you the markets that I'm investing in, why I'm investing there. But most importantly, it's there's no motive you know, for me at all. I'm not trying to sell you real estate. As a matter of fact, like the market I'm investing into right now, I'm not going to tell you about it for probably like three months. I need a chance to buy three or four or five properties right. because honestly, as soon as I do, then people start flooding into the market. And I've seen that happen in about four markets that I've gone into. So really it's STR unfiltered. It's the the raw component of what goes on in, in the short-term rental space. I mean, I'm I'm recording and they're all, and here's the difference, right? For me is I don't know how long we're going to be recording. I guess probably 30 minutes, 45 minutes. I don't listen to podcasts that are this long because I don't have time for that. So every podcast that I have is seven to 10 minutes and it's actionable to where you're going to learn something and be able to implement it. That's just something that I want. I don't see very many people that are doing podcasts that way. And in my trainings that I do at Build Short-Term Rental Wealth, I do the exact same thing. So that way they're bite-sized, they're consumable, then we can execute. Because we all know you know, whether I'm trying to learn tax strategy or optimization for my Airbnb listing or how to run Facebook ads, whatever it is, we get these mega pieces of content, right? And we just get overloaded. And then what happens? We think we're learning, but then we're like, oh my God, that was like 90 minutes. I need to go grab a, a, a Coke or a glass of water or whatever. And then the fucking execution shot, it's out right. the window, right? So I think that's something that's really important to me as an educator. And it's almost, so it's funny, I do these boot camps. And I warn people when they walk in and I'll have 88 people uh, to a hundred in a boot camp, And I'll say, look, you guys just spent like a thousand to $1,500 to be here with me for two days. You get the recordings, but take diligent fucking notes. And most importantly, if you have not booked an extra day, it's like, if you think we're going to wrap up tomorrow at four o'clock and you're going to fly home tomorrow night, you've wasted your fucking money. You need to change your hotel and stay and at least stay till noon the next day and catch an afternoon flight and then fly home and start executing the second we get done. And what happens is, is there's typically 10 or 15 people that stay in that conference room and they're executing, they're executing. Those are the ones that I see a week, five weeks, 10 weeks down the road that are the ones that took advantage of, you know, their time and their money to be there. And then the other ones I see, oh, well, hey, I forgot how to do this. And okay, well, it's because you didn't fucking do anything before you left. And I guess that's kind of me, you know, look, I grew up with no, you want to know my whole background? I grew up with no father. My mother was a teacher, made about $25,000 a year. I played prof I played golf, which is an individual sport. So I had no coach, no teacher. I had to be self-motivated, and I, but I had to learn how to do that stuff on my own, right? My mom didn't know how to teach me how to play golf. So I had this girlfriend in high school that was the world champion, uh, literally junior world champion, like the best female player in the world. And her coach started teaching me. And he, I'll never forget, it was kind of like Bobby Knight. If you remember Bobby Knight, the basketball coach at Indiana. It's, except for he didn't throw chairs. Um, and he's like, I'm going to tell you what to do, but it's up to you to do it on your own. So I've had to learn how to do everything on my own my entire life. And it's something that I absolutely cherish. 
I, I don't cherish not having a father growing up, but you know what? I kind of do because of the fact that my single mother really couldn't teach me how to do any of that stuff. And I had people that said, you got to fucking figure it out on your own and you got to schedule and allocate time. So I told you, like, I think you're the marketing guy, right? I, Ryan Dice, digital marketer. I kind of learned the first time I went to a mastermind meeting with Ryan and we had a three-day mastermind meeting and then he stayed the extra day, everybody else left. And I called, I texted him when we got back, I said, dude, why'd you stay an extra day? He's all because I needed to execute on everything that we learned over these three days with all the information that we shared with each other. And there was only like eight of us in this mastermind. And that's when I kind of learned that back in, in 2004. I implement that with my masterminds. I try to implement it with the boot camps, but only a small fraction, usually like 10% of the people do that. So I think it's the same thing as you said. If there's a lot of nuggets that people are seeing here, just pick two or three. Don't try to do everything. Pick two or three. And what's number one that you're going to execute today? So I believe in a one day, a seven day, a 30 day, and a 90 day plan. And it all starts with that first day. I'm a fat son of a bitch right now, right? So my gym's right there. You know what I'm doing when I get done with this podcast? I'm getting into my gym to get less fat because if I don't do it today, I'm not going to do it tomorrow. If I don't do it tomorrow, then I'm going to be fat on day three. You should check out 75 Hard. I don't know if oh. you've ever heard of it. I, I'm very familiar. Yes. Okay. I'm on it right now. I'm, I'm on day like 59, I think. Nice. Uh, yeah, but I've lost like 26 pounds and uh, it's all tied to this execution thing. I mean, literally, and I know that everybody listening to this, you're expecting a real estate podcast. Uh, and we don't really talk about mindset and stuff, but it is an important part of the equation. And and I know that it kind of seems fluffy, but like my experience running the CPA firm, building it from zero to $6 million in 40 people, it's the execution. It's the same thing. I mean, I would listen to, I read all the books, listened to all the podcasts, had all the coaching, and you just have overwhelming amounts of information and things that you need to do. But the reality is really just need to pick the one thing that I can execute on today and tomorrow and this week consistently, and then you pick the next thing and the next thing. I mean, I can go back to 2016, 2017. I journal. So I've got tons of written down information about my staff, about my mindset, about clients, things like that. I can go all the way back and look at things that I wrote down in 2016 that I'm just now getting to today, simply because it's just a lot of crap that you got to do to be successful at the end of the day. But the key is, is just to pick a few of the things and start executing. So it's really interesting that you say that. But 75 Hard, they bill it as a mental toughness program. And that's really resonated with me because it's like whenever I'm about to slip or fall off, I'll just remind myself I want to be mentally tough. <laughs> but, uh, it, but it's, it's really nice because the 45-minute workouts, there's two 45-minute workouts a day that you got to do. Yep. But it's nice because they don't say you got to like you know do some crazy pump or whatever. You just got to get moving. You just go walk walk. for 45 minutes. Yeah, I just walk. And now I'm like to the point where I'm at this. Tom talks about it. So Tom, if you haven't met Tom in real life, the guy's got like negative percent body fat. I mean, this guy is like, he's a beast in the gym. And he talks about it a lot. He talks about at some point, your body's going to get to the point where you you start craving the workouts. And that's where I'm starting to get to. And now I'm realizing I'm like, oh, that was the secret all these years. That was the secret to like getting into the actual gym and lifting weights and wanting to do that on a routine basis. It's not necessarily starting there with all that structure. It's just just start by getting moving. And then 60 days later, then you can amp it up and then you amp it up again and again and again. So. See, there's the there's the the bomb for this podcast. It's not my shit. That's it right there. I agree hundred percent. I mean, that's where you need like the big truth, you know, red, <laughs> red flashing thing on when you post the that 30 second clip. 
you know, on the, on the IG or, or whatever it is. I mean, I, I agree. Honestly, I'm pretty mentally strong. The one reason I've stayed away from 75 hard, I have a lot of friends, a lot of mastermind members that have done it multiple times. I have one guy that like starts, there's a bigger one than 75. Is it 125 or 150? There's a next uh, level. And he's done I'm both sure. of them. 365. Um, <laughs> my excuse is my travel. There's no chance. I would I would have broke down yesterday. I got up at three o'clock in the morning. I'm in my vehicle for 10 hours. I'm on site for three and a half, four hours. And I got back at 11 o'clock last night. There's no chance I could have executed two 45-minute workouts yesterday. That's my excuse. So I tried to do my own version a few times. And I think that's something that's really important for everybody. Sometimes 80% is good enough. You don't always need 100%. You just need your version. I can might be able to commit to a version of 75 hard based on my own schedule. We just have to commit and get started on day number one, or we never make it to day number two. That is yeah. the one thing I love about that accountability going every single day without, and one of your exercises has to be out, outdoors, correct? Yeah. It has to be outdoors. Yeah. But I mean, even that it's so committing to your version of it, hundred percent agree because every time that I've done anything health or really anything that I want to commit to, I'll do it for two weeks, then I'll fall off and then I'll feel bad about myself. So my question was, how can I actually make this 75 days and not feel bad about myself? And one of the aspects of 75 hard is you have to do a diet. And I know myself, like I'm never, you know, the diets for me are just too restrictive, following all right. these rules. I'm not a rule follower by nature. So I was just like, I, I'm not gonna be able to do that. So what I did is I said, I'm going to do whole 30. But what I really committed to was just learning how to eat healthier. And so I took like this health class or this uh, food class and learned how to read food labels, which was shock. I thought I knew, but it was shocking to kind of go through the class. You just learn all about different oils and things they put in your food. Anyway, I came out of that and I just make smarter food choices now. Right. Like we'll go to a restaurant and I'll get a salad and like mozzarella or something rather than a pizza and pasta and stuff like that. So it's just like understanding what you can do, committing to that and not for me, not trying to be too restrictive, but it, it goes into entrepreneurship. It goes into investing in real estate. A lot of people get into the analysis paralysis phase. I know a lot of CPAs who are super unhappy at their jobs, who will not... Don't raise your hand, Tom. Who will not... <laughs> Tom raises his hand. I, I, I meant oh the analysis paralysis part. Not, the, not that part. Get out of here, man. We're muting you. Uh, but I know a lot, of, a lot of CPAs that you know are unhappy at their job and they're like, oh, I can like start my own firm, but they never take the step because they just come up. One, it's just overwhelming analysis, but two, they just tell themselves that they're not going to be successful or they have some sort of excuse or whatever. But part of it is you just got to, you just got to try. You got to put your neck out there and, and see what happens. Agreed. hundred yeah. percent. Well, Bill, you have a large Facebook group. Do you want to tell us about that? Because I know a lot of people listening to our podcast are in our Facebook group, Tax Smart Real Estate Investors. So uh, maybe we can cross pollinate there. Yeah, it's build short-term rental wealth. We got a couple, I mean, maybe 21, 22,000 people. I don't know exactly. Quite a bit different than the other, I think, short-term rental Facebook groups that are out there. Uh, there's no bitching. There's no complaining. We don't complain about our guests or our cleaners. We have two rules. We Same thing I implement in everything in my life. We have a strict no asshole policy. Uh, if you're rude, mean, or an asshole, then you're deleted and blocked and you'll never come back. It's that simple. And two is give more than you expect to receive. You have to give to get. So our group is extremely helpful, extremely close-knit for a Facebook group and people that have never really met, met until Nashville, really. A lot of people haven't met each other. It's an awesome group. I mean, I'm in probably every single you know Airbnb, short-term rental, Verbo, Facebook group that's out there. I'm not saying they're all bad, but ours is 
different for, for whatever reason. And we're, we're all here on the same path. You know, it's, it's not arbitrage. It's not management. It's literally how do we build long-term wealth through investing uh, into short-term rental asset class? We're not talking about anything else. That's the focal point. Um, we do get into some of the mindset and life stuff. Like I'm going to be in Park City, Utah next week with a couples retreat. And it's all about planning and communication and, you know, setting up a business plan. And the one, the one thing that is we're, we're probably coming to the end, I imagine, I treat short-term rentals like I've done every other one of my startups. You need to have a business plan. You need to have a financial plan. You need to have an exit strategy. You need to think about your carry costs. Uh, you need to think ab about your taxes. Taxes are a huge deal. The tax benefits that I can get out of short-term rentals, I've never seen in any other type of investment. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons that I'm here. And that's a huge part of my wealth building strategy. Hence, as we were talking, I think it was before we started, you know, kind of why I meet with my, my CPAs in late October and leverage my costing strategy. And, and that's going away, correct? I mean, we're looking next year, it's going to go down, I think by 25% until it sunsets it, you know, over the next four years. It's something that completely changed my strategy going into this year. I also have bought two properties. I bought a new truck. Uh, I bought a Tesla. So I get credit for Tesla. I bought a truck that qualifies for Section 179. It's actually a piece of farm equipment. You know, all these types of things. So I can accelerate and depreciate. I bought two houses already this year. So it's kind of interesting. And I don't know if you guys get into this. But for me as an investor, I typically do most of my investing in the beginning of the year. And at the end of the year, I don't do a whole lot, usually from like May through October, because I'm planning that whole time from like November and December of one, what am I going to do to defer or eliminate my tax burden in the previous year? And then I set myself up to start buying early, you know, in the next year, which I've done with my two properties in North Carolina. Um, this is an unusual time for me to go in and buy a property, put two under contract like I did yesterday, but they're much smaller price points. And the cash on cash is like insane. So I can't pass it up. And that's the thing that I look at is how are we planning our purchases around our tax burdens, right? So one thing that, that I've started doing is I've started, and you guys may agree or disagree, the last three, four years, I've filed extensions. So that way I can kind of figure out what I need to buy and what I'm going to do with my real estate as I'm really building out my portfolio. Because right now I've got about $12 million of real estate in my portfolio. I started with one $600,000 purchase. I'm not, you know, a hedge fund guy with hundreds of millions of dollars. I can't just go buy whatever I want. So I think we have to be really diligent to that. And I commend you guys for doing this because I think this is one of the spots that newer investors, they're not, they don't even know. And you don't know what you don't know, right? So I'd love to have you guys on my podcast. I'd love to have you guys come into my group uh, and potentially do an interview like this and talk about what you guys do, because I think this is, it's like insurance. Nobody wants to fucking talk about taxes and nobody wants to talk about insurance. But both of those things are absolutely critical when we're building wealth. And I think it's different for like, if you're an investor and you're listening to this right now, your strategy should be completely different if you're like zero to a million dollars net worth. Then if you're like 1 million to 5 million, you should have a completely different strategy. Like 5 million to 20 million is a whole different strategy. Then I can't even imagine what it's like, you know, over 20 million, but that's probably a whole nother strategy that we have to have as well on the insurance side, the liability protection side, and your tax side. And those are three things that, you know, a lot of people in our industry aren't talking about because they're not sexy. Yeah. As, uh, as the short-term rental world kind of blew up right around when the pandemic started, it felt like 
Mm-hmm. We saw a lot of bad tax advice hitting the ground and being shared. And that's what started our whole like push into this space is just to educate people on what you can and cannot do. And and now I feel like we've got a pretty good foothold where people will come and listen to our stuff before <laughs> before going and talking to their CPAs, which is great. And we've educated a lot of CPAs on it too. But yeah, it's just it's just very nuanced with the tax side. And you, know, you heard Bill say it, it, when he started, he didn't know what a cost seg was. But even if you know what a cost seg is, then you have to get into section 469 and all the nuances of is this passive or not passive? Is this a rental activity or not a rental activity? Which sounds weird with short-term rentals, but you have to be asking those questions and you have to understand the rules. And a lot of people mess up the whole material participation thing. They count mm-hmm. hours that don't actually count. And they just set themselves up for a bad experience with an IRS audit. So, so I appreciate you saying that. Um, I'm gonna kick it over to Tom. You wanna close this out, dude? Yeah, absolutely. Bill, you know, wanna thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. This was an amazing show. I mean, this is probably maybe one of the better podcasts we've ever had. And we've had a lot of good ones. So it says a lot. I'm gonna go ahead and drop Bill's one of the better ones, Tom. If it's not the best, we need to start over. Oh no, it's the best. No, 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 it might be the best. He's like raised his hand about being a disgruntled CPA. No, no. I've been about the analysis paralysis. I've been sitting on cash for the last two years. Anyway, I don't know. I think Bill just convinced me to be a short-term rental investor. But anyway. Bill, thanks so much. We're going to go ahead and drop your Facebook group as well as your podcast into the show notes for anybody who does want to check those things out. And again, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Do me a favor, drop my Instagram too, BillFace73. I got hacked and had to restart, so I've got no followers. Absolutely. All right. So we'll drop that too. And uh, thanks again. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Hey, before we go, I wanted to remind you about the short-term rental course, which breaks down everything you need to know about the short-term rental loophole to save five to six figures in taxes. After helping dozens of private clients and hundreds of bootcamp students, we wanted to help as many investors as possible use this strategy. And with bonus depreciation starting to phase out, the sooner you can take advantage of this short-term rental loophole, the bigger your potential tax savings. So if you don't want to miss out on this amazing opportunity, you can enroll in by going to www courses.taxsmartinvestors.com. Again, that's courses.taxsmartinvestors.com. That's all for today. And we'll catch you on the next episode of Tax Smart REI. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, You really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week. 